This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Stockholm. What's up? What's up? Um, very excited to be here. Uh, Want to talk about the one thing that I'm positive that we are all connected by. I think one of the challenges that I have as somebody who likes to do speeches is that I'm obsessed with being consumer-centric, right? At the end of the day, I think every success I have comes far more from humility and listening than it does from my big mouth and all my talking and things of that nature. And one of the keys that I think a lot about when I speak is getting a sense of who's in the audience and reverse engineering. Obviously, I can't give the same speech to a room full of 22-year-old founders that are trying to build machine learning companies as I can to a bunch of 16-year-olds who are trading cryptocurrency in the same way that I can't to a 48-year-old executive Fortune 500 CMO crowd. And so I'm always kind of weaving. I have a thesis. It's very simple. It's right there. I day trade attention. It is going to be the core of what I want to talk to you about because it's the only thing that if you're in here as an executive or a B2B, how many people here are in B2B? the B2B space. Raise your hands high. Great. B2C? Great. How many people here are entrepreneurs and own their own business? Raise your hand. Great. How many don't and they work somewhere? Great. 50-50-50-50, right? So I think what's very scary about that in my ambition that everybody here enjoys the talk is that there's a lot of nuances and practicalities that play out very differently. But the one thing that 100% connects every single person in this room is the need to get somebody's attention before they tell them how good their thing is. Whether you're sitting here and very altruistic and are trying to raise money for a nonprofit, or if you wanna sell a bottle of wine, it's all the same game, which is very simply, where's the attention? How do you then communicate in that environment contextually to the attention? And then can you create the output that you're looking for? I spend a lot of time in this. I've spent a lot of time in this my whole life. Uh, when I was six years old and moved to Edison, New Jersey, for a lot of you that don't know me, I was born in the Soviet Union, immigrated to the United States when I was three, lived a very humble life, studio apartments, seven family members, You know, spent my first 18 years taking one family vacation, you know, basically after I was 11 or 12 years old, had to buy everything for myself. You know, very, very fortunate to be honest, taught me really how to get mine and taught me a lot of the things that have made me successful. But the interesting thing was I was an entrepreneur right from the beginning. I'm 42 years old and in America, you know, good grades was the only way somebody was judged in the 80s and 90s and I did not have good grades. And so for a long period of my time, I was not winning. I was a losing player. A lot of my friends' parents looked down on me because their kids got A's and I got F's. And I used to sit there and look at them when they would make fun of me. This is the parents, not making fun of me in a mean way, but they would make slide comments. And I would sit there and say, don't you realize that your straight A kid is gonna work for me one day? And I used to, <laughs> it's so basic. Anyway, um, <clears throat> When I was seven years old and started my first kind of business, six, seven years old, it was lemonade stands, which is very cliche in the United States. But I took a very different approach. I had four or five of them because I convinced 
manipulated my friends to stand behind them all day in the summer and sell lemonade. And what I did was I walked up and down the streets of New Jersey and I would sit and try to figure out which tree and which post and which sign I could put my signs on. And I did that by literally sitting on the ground and watching cars drive by for three to four hours in the middle of the summer. This is what came natural to me. It came natural to me, DNA, that I was trying to follow your eyes while you were driving and try to figure out was it better to be put here or here or up there? And that's basically been the story of my life today. Today, I do that. I try to figure out when are you gonna spend time on Instagram or Snapchat or Pinterest or LinkedIn? How soon is it before you all interact with an Alexa or a Google Home device to get information or buy things? Where is your attention in a altruistic kind of future world of AR and VR? And what is it about machine learning? What are we doing? Where are we going? What happens to restaurants with self-driving cars if we're gonna eat in there? How can I story tell to you when you're driving? Today I story tell to you through voice, right? Because when you're driving, it's passive, you can consume it. How does that change? Why is, while everybody's obsessed with video consumption, I'm going and spending all my time on audio because I know, actually watch this, this may be very interesting for this crowd. How many people here are fans of my content and consume my content? And don't raise your hand because you're trying to be nice. Just if you do, raise your hands. All right, first of all, that sucks. <laughs> all right, one more time, hands up who do great, of you, how many of you in the last year or two have started listening more to the podcast and watching a little less of the video? Raise your hands. That to me is the most interesting thing, thank you. That to me is the most interesting thing happening right now, which is I think we're about to live through the explosion of voice. And I'll get to that in a minute, but I wanna go back because there's so many people in the B2B space. What day trading attention means is that everything that you're gonna hear coming out of my mouth around voice, Instagram, influencers, Facebook, in this moment, has the potential to not matter tomorrow. I doubt it, because it usually takes a little more time. But literally, 15 months ago, I made a video saying that Instagram was in trouble, that Snapchat was growing very quickly and starting to penetrate 30-year-olds, that Facebook was much bigger than people realized at a younger age, and that I did not see a place for Instagram to play as Snapchat started winning that generation. Literally, a month later, and I didn't know this, they came out with all the features that Snapchat has, and here we are 15 months later, but basically after I made the video, it was literally 100 days later that Instagram became the most important platform of attention, and that's why I call it day trading. Where I used to call it, if you came to a talk five years ago, that slide would have said, market in the year that you live in, right? My thesis is that most of you, especially in the B2B space, are wasting an ungodly amount of time and money and energy on places where people are not paying attention because of history and tradition, and that's how you've always done it, and that you're underspending where the attention actually is, and that's where the arbitrage is, that's the opportunity, that is where I and people that trade the way I do make their wealth, build their businesses. But I had to change it from marketing in the year that you live in to day trading attention because everything's happening so fast. It's, it's unbelievable to me how big of a deal this is and how quickly it's changing. But here are some of the frameworks I understand. For everybody in this room, if you do not produce content and storytell on this device, 
you are becoming unbelievably irrelevant by the minute. If you do not understand how to take your brochure or your booth at a trade conference or your print ad in a catalog and convert it to being relevant on here, you are becoming increasingly irrelevant. The biggest mistake that this room is gonna make is they're gonna say things like, but my 59-year-old target audience isn't living on there. And they will make grave business mistakes over the next three to four years based on their romantic point of view on technology instead of the reality of what's actually happening. My friends, I think in only practicality, I was brought up in an environment where eventually after having a successful baseball card business that I was making three to $4,000 a weekend in, I was dragged into my dad's liquor store and had to help build that family business. I built my dad's business from a three to a $60 million business in a very short period of time on the back of making every penny work like a dollar. My dad's business was doing $3.7 million in sales on 10% gross profit, which means we had $370,000 before expenses. And I built that business from that base to 60 million in five years with no M&A, no VCs, because what I did was I day traded attention. In 1996 to 2001, that meant two big bets that I made. One was email. How many people here have done email marketing in their careers? Raise your hands. Please raise them high, I wanna get a sense. Great, so you'll love this. In 1996, I had an email newsletter that had 91% open rates. It had 91% open rates, not because it was so incredible what I was writing in there, I was writing buy this wine, click here. (laughs) It was incredible because nobody was doing email marketing in 1996, it was a new phenomenon. How many people here had email in 1998? Raise your hands. Great, so for the youngsters here, you're about to learn something because most of the stuff you're gonna know. In 1998, youngsters, this is how email happened. Somebody would send an email and us old folk, we would open and read every single fucking email. (laughs) The supply and demand of attention. It was a new medium, and all of us treated email the way we traded mail. You had to kind of properly look at it. We have now no longer do that. We now care so much about our time that the reason we don't unsubscribe from newsletters that we don't read anymore is because it takes longer to unsubscribe than it does to just delete. It is time arbitrage. It is attention, and this is how we play. The second bet I made happened a little bit later. You know, when I started winelibrary.com, Google didn't exist. So it's just fascinating to think about very much the themes of the gentleman right before me about how early this is, how much we don't know. That's how I think about marketing. You know, Google didn't exist for most of this room when we started our careers. The internet didn't exist for most of the people in this room. So I've lived a life where everything was a fad, not just Snapchat, the whole fucking internet was a fad when I started my career. And so what's fascinating to me is the next bet I made was Google AdWords. Google AdWords had come out, and for five cents a click before they raised the minimum to 10 cents, I was buying up every wine term, and I was able to buy words like wine, and Cabernet, and Champagne for five and 10 cents a click, And very honestly, it is one of the best things I ever did in my career, and it is no question one of the worst things I ever did in my career. I bet very big, and it worked very great, but I was young, and I was doing everything, direct mail, print, radio, television, I was branding, I was marketing. 
but I underspent on Google AdWords. I had, I always like to say, I had the best hand in poker and I didn't go all in. It was working, but I didn't understand at that point in my career how much it was working. And when I hear like somebody introduce me and say, from three to $60 million, and it's impressive and I'm glad and I love it, and it's my family, it matters to me. But every time I hear it, I say to myself, it should have been 200. And I'll tell you, it's why I stand here in front of you and I want to use that as a segue to why, and I want to, um, the, the light is powerful, but I want to see your faces. I need everybody to understand this. I don't care if you're selling to 17 farmers a $1 million you know, aggregation system in a B2B environment. Every person in this room has to understand how unbelievably underpriced and how unbelievably powerful Facebook advertising is right now. Right this second, the scalable, underpriced attention in our society, and by the way, if you are doing business in the Nordics, it's an even better deal than it is in the US because it's a marketplace and it only reacts, I love you guys for that, it only reacts to how much money you guys pump into the system. When BMW and SaaS and Coca-Cola actually wake up and understand how underpriced Facebook's ads are, the price of Facebook ads is going to skyrocket and you will regret, like I do, in not spending money in it today. There is an unbelievable amount of people in this room who have opinions on how Facebook works for their business without ever running a Facebook ad. We are making headline reading and emotional decisions about the current state of marketing and opportunity, we are not relying enough on practitioners. I have watched people buy $100 million contracts from one Facebook ad. I've seen it. Not I guessed it, I heard about it. We work with the GEs and the SAPs and the biggest brands in the world. We are grossly underestimating. It's amazing to me that people sit around and talk about Trump and Brexit and Arab Spring and these macro unbelievable, historic cultural shifts in our society, and then an hour later when they talk about their little business, their $100 million, $500 million, $1 billion, $10 billion little business, and they don't think Facebook can affect it. It is unbelievable naivete, and, at, and that's at best, at worst, you're being grossly negligent in how you're running your business, out of the laziness to not become educated on what is actually happening in our game. So, I'm fascinated by this. I think this is the great opportunity. This is a generational situation. If you look at the history of marketing, television, radio, the internet, now the social layer on top of the internet, every time there is a huge shift of attention somewhere new, enormous wealth is made and enormous wealth is lost. And this, my friends, is the biggest of them all. The amount of attention shifting is extraordinary, but I want you to hear something. I do not believe that this is about traditional media versus digital media. For example, I think one of the great wastes of money in the world is buying programmatic banner ads and pre-rolls across the web for $5 CPMs because it's cheap. I also believe in America, for example, that the Super Bowl ad that cost $5.5 million for 30 seconds is by far the best deal in marketing because everybody in America will see it and you get unbelievable awareness. 
So for me, I'm fascinated by the nuances. I think you can waste all your money on Facebook if you don't know how to use it. My friends, what's the ROI of a piano? What's the ROI of a piano? Let me help you. For Gary Vaynerchuk, zero. I can't play for shit. But for Billy Joel and Elton John, the ROI was a billions of dollars. The ROI of a basketball is zero for me, for LeBron, a billion. This is not about does this stuff work? This is about do you know what to do with it? And the reality is you don't know what to do with it. The far majority of people in here have never been practitioners of the modern day storytelling and media planning and execution for a business result and that is where the opportunity is. I'm fascinated by how big this actually is. I, am, I laugh when people don't understand how much change is happening. And so this rant, this passion I start this keynote with is very simple. It is my hope that one, one, one person in this room decides to go back home and run their business properly. And it's not very complicated. It's about becoming educated. Education matters. Just the education of the day always matters more. The fact that so many of you have not spent 30 hours, which is a lot, but very little, based on the ambitions that you have for yourself or your organizations, that you've not spent the 30 hours to either read on Google or watch videos on YouTube to how to run an Instagram ad, how to place a Snapchat filter, how to plan Facebook media, and you think that even if you've done it, you've outsourced it to a 25-year-old who gets it, is fascinating to me. Who was the biggest advertiser on Google in the first six years of Google? Amazon. Amazon was the biggest advertiser on Google in the first year, six years of Google AdWords. It is not a coincidence that Amazon is one of the biggest companies in the world. They used the underpriced attention to build their company. Who was the biggest advertiser of television in the prime of the 1970s and 80s when television was at scale and underpriced? Procter and Gamble. It is not a coincidence that Tide and Dove and Procter and Gamble became the biggest consumer packaged goods products in the world. This is very basic. What were the biggest sports in America in the 1940s and 50s? Baseball, horse racing, and boxing who also spent the most time distributing content on radio. What was the biggest sports in the last 20 years in America? The NFL, the biggest spender, the biggest executor of content in the medium. The sport matched the content. There's two young men right there doing tricks with soccer balls on Instagram and YouTube. It's because that content and that formula works on that platform and they didn't have to get signed by somebody to be able to make that content, they just went direct to the consumer and then Adidas, the biggest brand in the world in that sport, comes to them and wants to do business with them. I am fascinated by the naivete slash audacity of the 99% of people in the business world today in their disrespect for social media. Why don't I help you guys? Let me help you with something. The word social media is the problem. You know that, right? The problem here is a branding problem. Social media has a branding problem. When I say the word social media, for a lot of executives in this room, especially you B2B people, that is a nuance. That is a, a sprinkle. 
that is a nice to have, that is a, it's gonna be here one day, but doesn't matter to me. When I hear the word social media, I think very simply, I think this is the remote control of our society. And I know that 50% of every minute spent by human beings on earth, zero to 100 years old, is spent on a social media site, 50%. I hear social media, my brain says, the current state of the internet. And I have a funny feeling that you would have a harder time betting against the current state of the internet for your business than social media. So now I implore you, and my hope and dream is that this audience starts to think about this just a little bit differently. Not because I'm passionate and I'm going hard, but because there are truths in what I'm saying and you know them and you feel them and you also know that you can't call the bluff one way or the other, meaning I'm a big fan of A-B testing. If you believe that your print, your radio, your Google ads, your sponsorships, your booths at events are better than producing videos that people actually want to watch on Facebook and then retargeting them and putting them into a sales funnel and then closing them, well, then you should test them. To me, the fascination is how anybody in 2018 is not testing at scale these phenomenons. And so I'm trying to put pressure on the collective system really to be very frank, and I hope everybody understands this, none of you are my clients. You guys aren't my brothers and sisters. I'm about to leave Stockholm very soon and go back to New York. I don't give a shit if you do anything I'm talking about. I really don't. There's really only two agendas I have here. Number one, Tyler's filming it, and in four years, when CPM costs on Facebook are 30 and $40, I'm just gonna post a video clip of this moment, and it's gonna say, I told you so. <laughs> Number two, which has been much more fruitful for me, is that when I do this and I talk this way, which is practical, not emphatic, not passionate, practical. I'm talking about what's actually happening now and everybody's acting and executing and spending money and energy like seven years ago. This is not futuristic talk, this is today. I can talk to you about virtual reality and AR and machine learning and voice all day long. That's not practical for anybody in here but selling a contract in a construction company on Facebook, which seems extremely foreign to the collective, is happening every day for the two or three practitioners of this skill in that platform. And it's converting a hell of a lot better than your direct mail and all the other shit you're spending money and energy on. Period. But you don't know that because you haven't tested it. I have, I run direct mail and Facebook for Wine Library. I run direct mail and Facebook for all my SaaS products that I'm an investor in. I look at this stuff every day. And so I say this to have it on the record. And number two, it is an amazing feeling. When I fly home, I will get an email that says, four and a half years ago, I was in Alabama. I heard your talk and I own this and I did this and here's my business now. I'm looking to get my high from an email that says, you came to Stockholm in late 2017. I didn't even know who you were when you went on stage, but you yelled at me so aggressively, I said, fuck it, I'll try it. <laughs> and then this happened. 
And so that's where I'm at mentally. I'm excited. I think the thing that you have to hear for me is a couple more things before we get into Q&A. And please, are we using the app here? I assume we are. So please, if you've got, what I would implore right now, and then I'll go and rest my talk, is if you have a basic social media, digital media, marketing, you know, branding 101 question to ask it because this is the environment to do it, right? Because you can see this theoretical talk on YouTube. We're here together now, so if you have a very direct question, I am a lawyer, how the hell do I use Facebook to get more, like, please ask right now, take out your app and start asking your questions while I keep going, because the Q&A part that's coming soon is, is the part. Um, here's the part that's tricky. I'm right on the framework of where the attention is. The problem is, is if you go home and spend $5,000 on Facebook ads, the creative is the variable of your success. The picture, the video, the words you write in that post are the difference between zero sales and a thousand sales. Zero dollars in donations and a million dollars in donations. My vulnerability, my kryptonite to my thesis is the creative. I have your attention right now. This would be no different than Facebook, right? This framework of the event we're in right now, I have your attention. This is a talk. You came to listen. You're here. You're all paying attention-ish. I see a couple of you on your phone. <laughs> Keep doing your thing. It's more important. But if the content of my speech is not good and not interesting, I've wasted my opportunity with my creative to create the event that I'm looking for, right? So... The thing that I'm very passionate about is please understand what is actually happening in this device. And here's what's happening. This is a place where math and data and science mash into art and creativity and equally both of them have to be respected. The short-term financial businesses run in here care about math too much. The overly long-term and ideological and artistic people in this room are going to over here and not practical about the math. The balance of the two is everything. And the platform of Facebook and likes, and these are stream mentality sites that have our attention right now, Instagram and things of that nature, is incredibly important to respect both. For example, talking about stream dynamics, Twitter, because of the nature of the context, is overpriced ads because the ad prices have a floor and they're not converting as well and the attention on Twitter is very different than it is on Facebook and Instagram, thus making the inventory overpriced, in my opinion, as we sit here today. So the creative that you put in Twitter matters just as much everywhere else, but if you're paying too much to get in front of somebody, it's not going to be as valuable. This is basic supply and demand of attention and then framed on top of it, do you understand the context of the creative you have to put into it? Now let me go a little 201 on this. It's super important for you to do one thing. It's important for you to do what I did before I took this stage, which is reverse engineer the audience. The number one mistake everybody's making on social media content right now is they're using the same content and they're spreading it throughout all the platforms and they're using social as distribution, not as a native place to storytell. Let me explain. All of you sitting here, how many people here consume content on more than one social network? Raise your hand. Fantastic. 
majority of this room. So you're gonna understand this. And this is fascinating, and after I tell you this, I can't wait for you to spend the next day or two realizing how interesting this nuance is. I am me, I'm Gary, right? When I go into Instagram, my psychology is different than when I go into Twitter. My psychology is different than when I go into Facebook. Every one of you uses these platforms differently. When you're on LinkedIn, that's an amazing ring. When I go, it's really funny. When I go into Instagram, my mindset is younger, it's swaggier, it is just different. There's a youthfulness, there's a pulse, there's a cultural aspect that even the copy that I write with my two thumbs is different slang than what I would write on LinkedIn, than what I would write on Twitter, than what I would write on Facebook. Understand that when you put a picture or words or video on one of these platforms, the person you're trying to reach, even though you targeted ads across all of them for 44 to 45 year old women with two children and a $100,000 income, even though she is the same person, her mindset is different in every platform. And that context, that nuance is imperative. You also have to respect the platform. Instagram is a platform that only allows you today to make a video that is only one minute long. That is a different storytelling restriction than if you're making a four and a half minute video on Facebook. Too many companies that are advanced in here will make one video and then edit it down for the one minute version by their best half-assed efforts from the four minute version that they put on Facebook without creating narratively for that platform or deeply understanding how to what I would call DJ the content into the platform. If you're into music, then you realize over the last 20 years we've seen the growth of DJ culture. It is a different skill set than being the person that creates the original song. If you become great at being a DJ off of a piece of a content to the six or seven logos that matter at the bottom of my screen down here, if you can become a great DJ, if you can take a piece of content, if you can understand what you want to say, what message are you trying to make me understand? Use my dentist service, buy my SaaS product, use my bank, hire my law firm, work with me, donate for me, vote for me, buy me, donate for me. If you understand what you're trying to get across and you understand that it's words, audio, and video in the way we've communicated for the last 100 plus years and you understand how to respect, and I mean really respect, this, and this, and this, and this, and that, and that, and understand how they're different, how they work, inside out, spend the 30 to 40 hours to become educated on how they work, and then actually with your own fingers, place it, run it, and watch it, and do that for the next six months, you have a shot to be successful. And if you do not, you can still be successful, but you're doing it at your own peril. Every day goes by, this is grabbing attention. Now, you may not like that. You might be very upset that the kids are in their phone the whole time. But you have to make me a promise. You have to leave your opinions about technology at the door when you walk into the office and run your business. Because your romance is gonna put you out of business. And I wanna debate you on your romance. When you go to a restaurant and you see a couple sitting there 
and both of them are on the phone and not talking, you love to nudge your partner and say, isn't that sad? That's terrible, right? Oh, look at this, that's terrible. My look at it very differently. When I walk into a restaurant and I see a couple sitting there and both of them are on the phone the whole 30 times, I get excited. I feel better for them. I'm happy for them. Let me tell you why. I'm serious, my man. Let me tell you why. It's very simple. 30 years ago, that same couple sitting at that restaurant, they didn't talk to each other. They sat across from each other. All of you have seen this. All of you, I'm looking around the crowd. Nice, you know, this is not 14-year-old girls in the crowd. We're a little older here. How many people over 35? Raise your hand. Perfect. (laughs) All of you have seen what I saw 15 years ago, which is you went to a restaurant and you just happened to notice while you were doing your thing, two people sitting there, a couple, not saying a fucking word to each other. Right? My friends, technology has not changed us. Technology has exposed us. The reason those two people are sitting there and both on the phone is because they don't like each other. (laughs) And when I see two people sitting there in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s normally, both on the phone and not talking to each other, I see it as a mitzvah. I'm happy for them. Because 20 years ago, they had nothing to do and they had to get through that hour hating each other, not saying a fucking word. But now they can look at their YouTube video and be happy. It's true. Things are changing. You have to understand your culture. I'm awfully aware of the different nuances of the culture of the Nordics versus the US. I, when I speak, everyone's like, and I'm, I'm type A for even America. People are like, we're different here, we're subtle. I understand. I'm not asking you to do anything uncomfortable. I'm asking you to communicate and not waste your money. It's not groundbreaking. This is not revolutionary. It's a bad idea to waste money. And just because your organization scores it that way, or your boss believes in that, doesn't mean it's right. And so we are living through a very big culture change. The culture change is phenomenal. This is all time change. 15 years ago, if you went on the internet to go on a dating site and went on a date, you were weird. Now that is the norm. Can you imagine if I told the parents in this room 20 years ago that I'm from the future and let me tell you what's gonna happen in 20 years. You're gonna rather your 14-year-old girl go into a stranger's car every day to get around the town than to drive herself because you would think that's safer. Nobody would have bought me selling them Uber. Nobody would have bought 20 years ago that kids would be going into strangers. You were taught, how many people over 35? (laughs) We were taught you don't go into strangers' cars at all costs Now we're paying a fucking premium to go inside of them. (laughs) The culture has changed. It's not changing, it's not coming. There are 60 year old men in here who texted a poop emoji to their friend last night. (laughs) The same 60 year old executive who said, what's an emoji 18 months ago? The same 60 year old executive who 10 years ago said they would never be on Facebook. The same 60-year-old executive for 15 years ago said to me, I'm not getting a cell phone. My pager works just fine. (laughs) We, as a culture, do not like change. 
and in that, we lose. It is time for you to go on the offense, not the defense, because I have a funny thing to tell you about technology. Everything I believe in didn't exist 15 years ago. Not the smartphone, not YouTube, not Facebook, not apps, nothing. Did not exist. And if you think the last 15 years have been crazy, wait till you see what technology is gonna do in the next 15 years. This is nothing. You know what this is? This iPhone X, you know what this is? This is a pager. This is a pager. And in 10 years, this is gonna look so archaic, we're not gonna know what to do with ourselves. So, let me ask you a question. How many people in this room right now are retiring in the next 10 years? And I don't mean you're gonna crush it and sell your company for a billion dollars and live on an island. I mean, you're old and you're finished. <laughs> Raise your hand, 10 years, show me. Okay, great, great. So for the 13 of you, you can take this with somewhat importance, but for the rest of you, my friends, you have to understand what we're living through. We're living through a race. We're about to run a marathon in technology. Technology will eat up every aspect of everything always and forever. It's how it works. The bookstores were first, then it was people that owned taxi services, then it was the hotel industry with Airbnb, but it will keep going. The biggest TV networks in the world, now that there's OTT, this will keep going, everything. Just because you have big contracts with the biggest companies in the world, what's that contract worth when that company is not alive? This is real. And so we're about to run a marathon, and the reason I stress on you to be good at that is not because I think that's the end-all be-all, but you have no chance to be good at AR and VR and machine learning and cryptocurrency and everything else that's coming next if you did not ground yourself in this. You can't run a 40-mile marathon right now on the spot if you haven't been on the treadmill for the last six months and running little mini races to prepare. And if you are not adapting this psychologically first, religion first, and then becoming a practitioner. You need to be the architect, the general contractor, and the plumber, because if you don't, you will lose. And so I implore you, while it's easy, it's fucking easy to learn this. While it's easy, you better get serious about this, because the next wave of technology is gonna gobble you up. And I implore you to take this speech very, very seriously. Thank you. Thank you. Gary V. I think, should I stand there or? You can do anything you want. Can I come close to you? Yes, let's get real close. <laughs> okay. Thank you, that was great. And uh, we all feel like dinosaurs now. How many feels like, feel like a dinosaur out there? Yes, quite a few. Uh, Can I say something that was actually, thank you. One more time, dinosaur, who feels like a dinosaur? You know what's amazing about this game? Literally in 60 days, you don't have to. What I love about this game is you could be a dinosaur of everything, but good news, that already happened. This is one of the most liberating things I can tell somebody. And, it's, and by the way, I'm not saying it to make you feel good because I think you can tell I don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm saying it because it's true. The fact that you can go from a zero, a dinosaur, I don't know what the hell he's talking about, or more importantly, I understand, but I know nothing about it. In 60 days and 40 hours, 
You can know everything. That's incredible. Free information. Who's over 35? Raise your hand real quick. Tell these kids about something called the library. Like we used to go somewhere to get information. What do you want to know? What do you want to know? In our fingers, in a second. So what excites me is, sure, you could feel like a dinosaur. Sure, it might feel intense, but I see it as optimism, not negativity. This is an opportunity for all of you. And the biggest thing is, you're going to live much longer than you think. And so there's a lot of people here in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who think they're wrapping up and finishing it, and it was past, where all the opportunity for happiness professionally is in the next 30 years between 50 and 80, because you can start your own business around your passion around ice hockey or, or beverages or soup or suits or sneakers. This is so big that I just think people are underestimating how great it can be. Thank you. We feel much better. And, <laughs> and I actually do. It's good. Uh, Keep the questions coming in. You heard Gary, this is a free consultation, so just use the time. And uh, I have a question here from Mark. What about ads on Facebook uh, for non-profit organizations? Does it work? How should it be done? I was in, uh, I'm, on the, I'm a, mel- a well member for an organization called Charity Water that I'd love for all of you to look at because it's run by a club promoter and an entrepreneur, which is why it's being successful, <laughs> right? Um, We're doing very well. We're really trying to bring fresh water to the entire world. Scott Harrison is an all-time great nonprofit executive. In the presentation on Sunday night, which you know was remarkable, the biggest growth for the company has been getting $5 return on investment for every dollar spent on Facebook. My friends, listen. It's underpriced attention. <laughs> It's $6 CPM, and, it, and you can target 44-year-old Korean women who like hockey. I mean, it's crazy. Do you understand? It's crazy what it can do. It's why it's changing our macro geopolitical climate. It's going to be $45 CPM in about three years. That's it. It's just a lot better to pay $6 instead of $45, mm-hmm. especially when you have to spend hundreds of thousands and millions. So... Yes, it can work for nonprofits. Mm. Uh, another question: uh, How do you think your strategy regarding visibility and marketing on Instagram and Snapchat would work if, um, if this is hypothetical or not? I don't know. I am CMO of Patek Philippe or Hermes. Many people in marketing would say that it's proven that luxury brands lose brand value and positioning if they are visible in the wrong context with the mass brands. <laughs> Um, I think there's a lot of things in there, in that statement. I would say, uh, number one, ego is mixed in there. I would say naivete is mixed there. Um, uh, those two are the things that stand out. I'm empathetic. I'll, I'll, I'm empathetic to why Rolex or Cartier uh, or Austin Martin may think that this is below them. It's also why Tiffany's and Austin Martin and Rolex will go out of business over the next decade. Let me say it very clear one more time. Go out of business in the next decade or 15 years if they don't act, they will, because every day that goes, let me tell you something about social media and luxury brands. None of them were there eight years ago. They're all there now. They're just half pregnant because they're fucking snobs run by snobs. Uh, 
And you know what's amazing about meritocracy and capitalism and open market dynamics? Snobs die. Okay. This is not a just personal opinion yeah. based on where yep. you come from, no? Yeah. No, I mean, look, listen, I, I don't think I can win if I have personal opinions. I want, Christie's is selling $800,000 products on Instagram. Is that a good enough answer? What do you want? Like, do you not understand how society works? Do you not understand that every rich person, 35 to 45, only lives on Instagram and doesn't even know what the fuck Vogue is? Like, do you live in the world? <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm, I'm being real, like, 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 listen, this is an opportunity, like, are people that tone deaf? Or is it that you're not doing it because inside the companies of these luxury brands, they don't have an internal MMM that knows how to score the metrics of the new modern platforms, so they overvalue the impressions of print. Oh, by the way, for anybody that's not in the business, the way that print is valued on how many people see it is they give eight times circulation value to how many of the magazines are printed. So if a high net worth brand where you're in with high net worth brands prints 500,000 or 100,000 copies, they give you the fact that 800,000 people will see your ad on page 237 of that magazine. Because you know, Everybody takes the Rob report and Vogue and GQ and leaves it on a plane and then somebody else gets there, picks it up and opens it and carefully goes to page 237 and consumes your ad. So listen, I think, to answer your question, my personal experience, no, I think it's their personal experience of how they grew up or more importantly, how they wish it would be. Because a lot of people that work at brands like that like the inclusive, on a pedestal nature of that job. And by the way, I don't blame you. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have quite a few questions that ask about what is the, like after Facebook, when that becomes too expensive, what's the next thing? I don't know if you guys know, but I'm not Nostradamus. <laughs> I have no idea. And that's the beauty of day trading attention and trying not to have opinions. I don't know. I don't know if AR will be here fast enough that there's something that gets brought up. I don't know how soon we're going to wear contact lenses and live in a virtual reality world, not in the real world. I don't know. What I know is that I have a mental mindset, a religion, to know what it is. I, in 1996, would stand up here and tell you about email. I, in 2001, would tell you about Google. I, in 2004, would tell you about programmatic banners and YouTube. I, in 2007, would tell you about Twitter. Like, I don't know at all. I know that what got me here isn't going to get me to the next place. And I know that the market, much like luxury brands, doesn't care about little old me. So when it's here in four years, I'm going to do a lot of work and stay up late and educate myself and use my intuition and my skill of consumer behavior to figure out how to story tell in the place that has now emerged. Okay, and so then you have to go out for the knowledge so your intuition will work the right way. Where do you sort of go? Everywhere where we are currently. So I will tell you the pulse of culture, no question, lives on Instagram. You should spend an hour a day just searching Instagram hashtags and following a lot of people and then reading what people leave. You should spend an hour, if, let me phrase, if you're a strategist, 
a psychologist, a, you know, somebody who, anthropologist, if you're curious about culture, it is playing out in your eyes on Instagram. It is the pulse, the heartbeat of the emerging cultures. I knew that eight-year-old girls were gonna make slime two years ago. It's right there. Couldn't you have stopped it? <laughs> I could have, but that wouldn't have allowed me to invest a lot of money into the Elmer's Glue Company. <laughs> you did? I sure did. And if I took my Coinbase out right now, not that, not that I'm a genius and I surely didn't bet enough money, but if I take my Coinbase account out right now, I just want to be very accurate so there's no confusion. By paying attention to culture and betting on people's, you know, kind of actions, I bought on, let's see, here, on February 18, 2014, I bought my Bitcoin, not last week. What, what happens when you stay curious and humble is you start listening. When you start listening and executing, it allows you to have the audacity to start talking. That is a good strategy. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Um, this one, how important is personal brand comparing to the company brand as an entrepreneur? Look, I think everybody has different levers. If you're highly charismatic and extremely handsome, you should build a personal brand. <laughs> I think if you're an introvert and you don't like people, you shouldn't. <laughs> it's true. Look, it's very true. There are an amazing amount of people building incredible businesses, organizations, governments, nonprofits, and businesses that you'll never hear of. They're more comfortable behind the scenes, and that's incredible. Not everybody should be out there doing You have to, self-awareness is the magic. Knowing who you are is the magic, not being on stage and making a joke, right? So I think it's incredible if you're good at it and you like it and you like people and you can take the heat. The key to, the key to a personal brand is humility. Like when I put out content, there's a lot of comments that I'm a jackass or I'm too cocky or I suck. If you can't quantify that, you won't produce. So you have to know who you are if you're doing it for the right reasons, and you have to deploy empathy to why your personality may not work for somebody because everybody's got an opinion and they're allowed to share it. Hmm. Um, do you see any danger in the social media bubble? Are we getting more stupid by being fed with news that uh, confirm what we already know or think? No, I think we've been historically stupid. <laughs> That's very true. Here's a very simple question. Life is binary. When we have this conversation about social media manipulating us, life's binary. I'm gonna ask you very simple. Would you rather have the society that we live in be in a place where they can consume content from lots and lots of voices, or did you like 1973 better when two or three or one old white dude could tell you what to think? You can't have both. I mean that. Like, all of a sudden, traditional media has been this incredible golden era for all the people that are scared by the new regime. Really? You liked when two people controlled the media? I'm thrilled all these men are being outed for their transgressions. That happens when the world's open, not when they're friends with the people that control the media. Hmm. Your choice. 
But I think most people would agree that, yes, it's better now in many ways. But still, we have Mr. Putin and we have other realities that really are affecting democracy. And what about that? Are we supposed Dictators to... Dictators get to play too. You know, yes, like, like uh, the, the naivete of the human race that everything's going to stay the same, everything is going to ebb and flow. And everything will always ebb and flow. I just am an unbelievable buyer of us. I'm an optimist of us. We've been around a long time. We have figured this out. It always gets better. You may not like it. There might be something you don't like, but it always gets better. You know what's scarier than social media? The Black Plague. <laughs> I just believe in us. Like, there will always ebb and flow. I mean, Putin is executing my thesis, which is the media controls thinking. And he can use the tools as much as anybody else. But this is where I get really mad at human beings. We love to blame somebody else. Vladimir Putin did not come to my house and make me read the propaganda. You read it. You're a big girl, you're a big boy, stop pointing fingers. Social and digital and the new way communication works is exposing us. It's not changing us. You know how the Facebook algorithm works? If you keep clicking and reading that stuff, it will show you more. You wanna try an incredible, actually, you know what? I've never done this. You wanna try an incredible experiment? Go to Facebook. How many people use Facebook? Raise your hand. Great, go to Facebook and search at the top, which people don't do, search at the top a subject that you like. Something you like. Hockey, peanut butter and jelly, esports, e whatever you want. Shoes, suits, parenting, something you like. Search it. Then, what shows up? Like all the posts. Like them all. Like them all. <laughs> and read three of them. Stay in the screen and read three of them. And then tell me what your newsfeed does the next month. Tell me how much the bad guys are manipulating you. You're manipulating yourself. You don't want to own up to it. Hmm. But okay, let, let's have a real, ex or might be a real example. <laughs> Trump says, we don't want any immigrants in this country, especially not the ones from Belarus, okay? Yeah. And uh, every argument for the immigrants being in the United States won't reach people's feeds. So this, this, this is the reality, and they want to throw you out of the country. How do you go about to sort of get into this space to reach these people? So there's a lot of questions in that. Let's start with this. First of all, Facebook has a lot of attention but it doesn't control all the airwaves. It doesn't control all the communication. There, there, there's nobody who's doing anything in a macro that people aren't aware of. It's not like people spend 100% of their time in their feed. Let me tell you something. In America, if you only watch Fox News or if you only watch CNN, you're seeing two different things too. There's no difference of your Facebook feed than if you have Fox News on the whole day or CNN on the whole day. We are manipulating our consumption always. Also, in that scenario, I know how to get to Americans to know about the Belarusian thing just as well as the Trump or the Hillary Clinton or Obama machine. And believe it or not, on Facebook, I have a fair chance. In old media, I don't. 
Okay, let's argue about that later. That's nothing to argue about. <laughs> you will be historically wrong if you believe what I just, one more time. Trump, 40 years ago, says we're kicking everybody out. There's, he has, his two best friends are Rupert and Les Moonvice, and he controls the airwaves, you know, like dictatorships. This is historical. I'm not, this is not my opinion. Fidel Castro did it. This is simple. Do you want two or three people controlling the information, or do you want an open marketplace? There's nothing to argue about. The conversation that we need to have is our lack of accountability of what we consume and our curiosity. The day after 9-11, I started going to Al Jazeera's website for the next year because I wanted to learn. That is way more important. That is what we need to be as a, we need to be empathetic and we need to hear other points of view. Whether you consume that on Facebook or on television or the newspaper or the magazine, that's a human thing, not a media distribution argument. Don't blame the platform. Okay, we get it. Do you agree? I do agree. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> okay, um, someone wants to know if you ever uh, were wrong. <laughs> A ton. And let me tell you something, and this will make sense. And I think, Babin, this has been the theme of our like, trip on this. I bought crypto in 2014, not the earliest. I had friends buying in 11 and 12, but definitely not the latest. I have a lot of wins on my board in early investing. The reason somebody would ask that question is I only talk about things I know, not things I think. I'm very basic. I talk very little. Very, I mean, just in a very narrow place. I could talk to you today about AR and cryptocurrency and internet of things. I just know there's a lot of people that are smarter and better to talk about it than me. So the reason I feel like cocky or are you ever wrong is I stay so goddamn narrow and I talk about things that have already happened. I'm not guessing up here, my friends. I'm just social commentating on what happened and that's it. And so, yeah, I'm wrong every day. I just don't think it's a good strategy to go on stage <laughs> and guess or opinionate. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, this one. How do you use Facebook in order to raise capital for a startup? You run ads against employees of venture capitalists. Is that a good answer, whoever asked the question? What, what's really interesting about that is how great this is. The fact that I can make a video on my phone for free, articulate my points of view of why my startup and I as a founder are special, and then spend $600 reaching every single employee of every single venture capital firm that could potentially want to talk to me is the greatest opportunity in the history of marketing and communications. That's how you use Facebook. To get in front. Now, if you're not a practitioner and you just talk about Facebook but you don't know anything about it, you might not know that one of the ways you can run ads on Facebook is clicking a button that says, go to these companies' employees in the feed. You may not know that. That's it. Headline readers, practitioners. 
My plea here today is for you to become a practitioner. If you're the CEO and 90 years old or 22 years old and you're gonna change the world and everybody in between, you have to be the practitioner. This is oxygen now. You can't have this as a nice to have. Communication in today's world is the value and you have to be good at it. Gary, what's your best tip on delivering quality at scale? driving down the cost of the production of the content. The biggest reason so many people are losing is because they work with agencies or internal people that aren't producing enough at an efficient enough price. The reason, for, you know, for the hands that went up that follow me, the reason I started talking about documenting versus creating is, is because I'm trying to produce so much content, having a man follow me around with a camera, though narcissistic and crazy, has allowed me to create so much content because so much is happening all the time and then I'm DJing it, I think the biggest reason people are struggling is everything is too perfect, too fancy, and too subjective. I let the market decide. I deploy humility with my content. I produce it, I put it out there, and then I watch what happens, not before. And so this camera is so much better of a camera than what we had just six years ago that cost thousands of dollars. You don't need unbelievable equipment. You need people that are native to today's digital world to produce content. I would also say you have to use content in multiple ways. When I make a video, I turn that into audio. I turn that into the written word. I get to write a 500 word essay on LinkedIn off of maybe an answer that I just gave here today because it was recorded, then it's transcribed. Create a framework that creates enough quality content at scale so you get a thousand at-bats instead of 13, which then allows you to not debate quality. Hmm. Quality is subjective, period. Until it hits the market. And there's too much audacity and ego in the executives in this room and in my own company of what quality is before it goes out. And I fight that, I fight that daily. Okay. But what, what homework can you do earlier on in the process to ensure that this documenting on this uh, produce of content has a good quality? I mean, working I, I, with your values? I, I think the way you do it is you start and you put it out and then you learn from the feedback which then informs you on the next thing that you do. It's iteration. It's the reps, you gotta do it. You can't read or debate about push-ups. If you want the ROI of push-ups, you've gotta do the fucking push-ups. And that's how I think about content, I really do. You can't read or debate about the push-ups. And I don't think you can read or debate. Now, I believe in strategy and consumer insights, I live on it. You should do that. But that has a moment, and then you need to produce, and at scale because there's a lot of platforms and a lot of attention and it's fragmented and you got to give your chance, yourself chances. And by putting out 800 videos, 30 of them are going to teach you so much for you to be better at the next 800. So a major piece of advice is just start. Yep. <laughs> okay. And that is very countercultural to organizations and corporations. They're in the business of not starting. That's, I w this is just a question for me, because sure. I know one can order you as a speaker with or without cursing. Is this with or without cursing? 
I really hope this was with cursing. (laughs) (laughs) You're in Sweden. I don't think anyone minds anyway. Love you guys. Take care. (laughs) If you can't curse in Stockholm, you might as well close up shop. You know, (laughs) Stockholm can handle it. What do you do when your target audience is too small for Facebook or LinkedIn advertising tools to let your ads through? Got it. So the segmentation you're creating is too small? Who asked that question? Ma'am, are you, is that when you go for your targeting, it shows not a significant enough? So I think for now, because Facebook is so underpriced, I, when I try to do that, think about a very interesting strategy that you might like. You're trying to, if you're going that small, you're trying to reach decision makers, right? Think a lot about the people that influence the decision maker. The reason I love employees of as a target is because you never know which employee has the CEO's ear. It's funny to me in my company of 800 that there's 30, 40 people that are very junior, have a lot of influence over me more than other people that are very senior. So I think Facebook's so underpriced that you should just add a wider range and give away that money on the CPMs because it's still worth it to get to the group that you're trying to reach. So when I get too small, I just make it wider with age or preference, or I'll tweak it or by location because I know that a lot of big companies are there. I widen it because I still value it so much that even wasting 80% of it, I still think is underpriced because the other option is what's your alternative, right? Sending them a direct mail or cold emailing them or sending them a message on LinkedIn is not being heard. Make sense? Ish? Do we have a mic? I want to have this conversation. Do we have one? Where's the microphone? Oh, right. Jesus Christ, that's insane. You were right there. Love it. I guess it makes sense, but sometimes, you know, you have um, the people you work for, they don't want to spend a lot of money. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't make it wrong. Right? Like, I I get it. No. Like, I'm giving you the actual answer. If you tell me I only get a $1,000 budget because, you know, they don't believe in it, well, that means you should go find another job. (laughs) Okay. Good. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And And I mean that. You should find another job if you unbelievably believe that that, what we believe in is right. If you don't, well, then you don't. But to me, this is a real decade of the haves and the have-nots, and you need to be smart um, because the opportunity is great if you actually understand. The fact that you have targeted, the fact that you have targeted a segment that is not big enough means you're 99.7% ahead of most of the marketers in the world. You need to take advantage of that, not just regress into the machine. Mm. I wonder if her boss is here or, and if he's here or if she, if that's good or bad. I think it's good because I would hope that she or he listens to this conversation and says, screw that guy on stage. Here's a couple of more dollars. Let's prove him wrong. And then I hope that she makes good content so that we could prove him or her wrong. Okay. So uh, it, these are you know, good arguments for get, getting an organization going. But... What else could you tell, for example, Lars, 59 years old, uh, not very f- keen on spending money on social media? Listen, I, 
you know, I don't have a huge passion that 59-year-old Lars spends money on social media. I really don't. A, I don't give a fuck about Lars. <laughs> but B, B, the market will be the decision maker. I don't want people to pander to me or to the history. Like, I think Lars and Susan should see what it's like for themselves. But if they don't, you know, much bigger companies than yours have gone out of business. Why? Because of this argument, right? If my argument was wrong, then IBM would have never let Microsoft happen. Then Microsoft would have never let Google happen. Google would have never let Facebook happen. Companies are built when people don't see things. Or they see them, but they don't make change because the people in the company don't actually care about the health of the company, they care about themselves. Super not fun, super not fun to make the proper investment into Facebook right now if the head of marketing is bonused on efficiency on a thing that doesn't score Facebook advertising. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is a personal question to you from, from someone in the audience. Have you negotiated a deal with Apple to give you $6 per view on iPhone? You would have made at least $50,000 by now. I haven't. Apple isn't super in the business of negotiating directly with me. Um, I haven't. But uh, what I would say is this. I, I, I have zero expectations of the other person or platform. I think one of the biggest mistakes is people spend a lot of time here saying, well, Facebook is benefiting from me, or this or that. I don't care. When I go into business, whether it's a human or a platform, I try to figure out what I'm trying to get out of it. I always like if I'm getting a little less out of it because then I have leverage. And that's how I think about the world. And so I don't think about what Google and Apple and Facebook are getting out of it. I think about what I'm getting out of it. And if it's good enough for me, then that's fine by me. And I think a lot of people are misplaying their strategies because of some theoretical debate of who's getting the better of the relationship. I just try to spend time on what I'm trying to get out of the relationship. And if those two guys get 80% of the value because they get all my content for free and it helps them and they never buy a sneaker or a book or anything, I don't care. It makes me happy. Fine. It's not why I'm doing it. And I think people get really caught up in the wrong psychology. Good. Uh, with an increase in CPM on Facebook, is the Facebook stock the best investment today? Um, there's, listen, I, like, I think actions are better than words. I don't understand Wall Street at all, period. Let's start there. I don't trust those fuckers. <laughs> there's only two stocks that I buy ever, like ever, Facebook and Amazon, period. That is the only stocks that I've bought in the last five years because of Mark and Jeff. I believe companies are complete replications of the leadership. And I think both of those guys are playing long-term, not to make the stock good in the next 90 days, and that's how you actually win in business. You invest in the next things. And so, yes, I think Facebook is grossly underpriced at $175. Now, could macroeconomics crash the world economy and that 175 go to 85? Of course. But if you put a dollar, well, if you put $175 into Facebook and you never need that money, ever, I am convinced blindly that you will return an investment on that in a 10-year macro. 
And that's how I think about mm-hmm. Amazon and Facebook. It's it's so uh, it's been really great getting to know you uh, today and also yesterday in Gothenburg. But what will you do in the next 15 years? Do you have a plan, or is it just you know lust, or what are you? What's your objectives? I don't know if you heard earlier about the Nostradamus thing. <laughs> uh, my intuition is over the last year or two, I've become intoxicated with impacting young men. I have a lot of young guys following me because of the alpha nature. You can see it. This is probably the most alpha I am because when I am on stage and nobody can talk back, I like that, right? And it allows me to be a little more bravado and I'm a little bit more of a showman. When I'm one-on-one in real life, it comes down in a different direction. But through my personality, I've gotten the attention of a lot of young men and I'm really trying to teach gratitude and empathy and kindness. I think these are weapons to why I've been successful. And I do have an ambition over the next 15 years to become unbelievably popular to that demo so that I can make them a different version than what they used to look up to, Rolexes and Porsches and parties. And, uh, and I do have some pretty lofty historical legacy ambitions on my ability to communicate and the way that my mother raised me. Um, My intuition is that every day that goes by, that continues to pull at me more. Um, Yeah, I want to be historically correct. And that really comes through through when you you spend time with you. And I was just wondering, what did your mother do? She she taught me, boy, she's fucking, she did everything right. Uh, So what did she do? She over-accentuated when I did good things, meaning I remember clearly opening the door for an elderly woman when I was seven or eight at McDonald's. Um, You know, we're just going. I just remember this clearly. I opened the door for this elderly woman. My mom acted at that moment like I won the Nobel Peace Prize. (laughs) So she was very aggressive when I was being kind or deploying empathy but she, she also didn't let me get away with things. So she knew I was gonna be successful long before anybody else. But when I would get D's and F's on my report card, she would punish me for a week or two, even though she meant knew, she knew it meant nothing. But she wanted to teach me that things had repercussions. She was my biggest cheerleader, but she was practical. And, uh, and I'm so grateful for her. And so she built up my self-esteem to an uncomfortably high level. <laughs> and, she, and she raised three children with no help and worked her ass off. Like, I can't even, she did some things wrong, but it came out of what she did amazingly well. Like, I can't do anything for myself, like peel an orange or wash clothes, because my mom did everything for me. She was that hardcore. She created an incredible framework for me. And to be very honest with you, so much of what I do is out of guilt and gratitude for how my parents raised me and me not having anything and having to work for it, that I'm trying to, I feel like a lot of this is me giving, as lucrative as this is for me to get paid for, you know, I'm sure you guys and the organizers for my fee, but I'm very fortunate. The companies I'm building, my time allocation is far greater for me to be in the business than to be here for a day. But this, and knowing I was gifted with a communication style that is actually gonna get three people here to do something, um, 
That has a lot to do with the way I was parented. I'm desperate to give back the wisdom and the framework that Sasha and Tamara gave to me. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Uh, I really, really, really hope you loved it. Uh, as you guys know, I try to bring it every single day. Uh, so whether you're walking a dog, uh, running on the treadmill, or traveling on a plane, I hope it brought a little value or escapism for you. And I'm here to talk to you about, as we get into the holiday seasons, the thing that I'm most excited about, which is the Gary V Wine Club for $55 a month delivered. No shipping charge. $55 delivered, you either get one, two, three, three or four bottles of wine. For some of you that don't know, that is the industry I grew up in. I was once known as a wine expert, and what I've been doing is getting back in the game, tasting hundreds of wines each month to narrow it down between one and four bottles so that I can send it to you and send you over $100, $150, $200 worth of value each month. If you go to the hashtag Gary V Wine Club on Instagram, you can see the insanity brewing. I'm really excited about it, and I know we're going to that time of year when you're thinking about buying that perfect gift and I know so many of you have people that are fans of my content and different things of that nature and to be very frank, I'm just so proud of the damn club. Like the first, you know, somebody just emailed me this morning actually, there was a Shatniff to pop, that's how we roll, a Shatniff to pop in the first October month, the first month we did it, that the guy just literally saw in a liquor store for $67 just for that bottle and it was one of the three bottles. So super excited about it. Buy one for your dad, your best friend, your boss. I will not let you down and most of all, Each month, there is a video and audio supplement of me tasting the wines that you can taste along, build your palate, or entertain one of your buddies. The greatest gift for the holiday season in the history of mankind, the Gary Vee Wine of the Month Club, $55 delivered. Go sign up now to winelibrary.com slash Gary Vee. Gary V-E-E.